Don't talk to me unless it's about this. Welcome to season two, where we are rereading our first loves, the first books we can remember really loving. And today we're talking about one of Darla's childhood favorites, The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. And I had never read this before. So Darla, tell me about your memory reading this for the first time and again now. (laughs) I don't remember remember when exactly it was which i don't think it's shocking about like our first book loves um but the the edition that i got this time is the 25th anniversary edition so i guess it first came out i think in in 1984 so i was five i didn't read it then (laughs) i'm thinking it was in high school for like a school like an assigned book um and The thing that sticks out to me the most about reading it is I remember it being, I remember the really short chapters. Like I remember the kind of um, uh, unique way, you know, I think at this point I probably had read regular chapter books and novels and plays, but like something like this, that was like so um, unique in its format. Um, This was probably my first time reading something like that. So I remember that sticking out. And then I also remember that it felt taboo that there felt like things that were maybe a little bit above my age or things that weren't like things that I just felt like were a little saucy you know and I wasn't sure what like when I went to go pick it up at the store this time I was like yeah I don't remember what those things are but I remember it felt that way like a little bit a little bad to read it and Having reread it, could you figure out what some of those things were that at the time felt like a little racy? Like it was absolutely about kissing, that kind um, of stuff. Yeah, or not even beyond that. The like, the chapters later, like where I can't remember the name of the chapter, but where her friend goes into the like the forest yard. with the boys. Yeah, and yeah. the stuff that was near the end, wasn't it? The monkey garden. No. Yeah, yeah the monkey garden. Yeah, and and Sally, um, and the and the red clowns, you know, the things that like, yeah, the stuff that I ended up being like. Now reading it, I was like, oh, this is like really traumatic stuff that happens in childhood, um, and I, so I could I could see how reading it at fifteen felt different than reading it now. It, also, reading it now, I'm reading it to to I've I've been reading some of the chapters to Izzy, and there were definitely some of them that I'm just like, I just can't read this chapter two you know and i'll read it at some point yeah so it's so interesting though that had you heard of it before did you know of sandra cisneros or the name sounded familiar of the book but you know i couldn't say anything more than that so i didn't know any for other work what did you think of it well at first i was wanting it to be more of a classic novel and I think I'm just really attached to that format. Um, like, I don't read short story collections um, or essay collections. I I really like a, a long, continuous story. And I came to, once I figured out what it was, I was like, okay, just stop going into this trying to want it to be a novel. Like, it's, it's not going to be that. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the format and the you know the way it's kind of poetic and it's also kind of like detached a little bit um and what that could mean because I do think there's a lot of meaning behind it that's really interesting from a writing perspective 
I would say it's still not my preferred kind of genre. I still really like just a long, continuous story. Um, but I can appreciate the different kind of art form that it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. It's a different kind of art form. It's a good way to say it. And, you know, I think it shows she's a poet first, right? And I think that really shows up in, in her writing. I, I oh, I didn't know that, that she's a poet first. That makes sense. <laughs> she is. And, and, um, or, or at least she is no, really known for her poetry. Um, and I know, I, I don't know if it was in the introduction to this or something I read separately, but she talks about how she wanted this book to be able to just be picked up and you could read a chapter of it and it would make sense on its own or it would make as much sense as it can with as sparse of language as she uses, right? But that you don't have to read it from beginning to end like a novel. Um, but at the same time, all the chapters do fit in with each other and you do get get the full, like a, a, a much more full sense of Esperanza's life than you would if it was just a one short blip of it. Mm-hmm. That was mentioned in, so I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the introduction because I had a different introduction. I had the 10th anniversary edition. So, and you had the 25th anniversary. Um, and she mentioned that in her introduction on mine. Um, and... Yeah, that's that's cool to see how I'd be curious, you know, the order in which she wrote these and how she decided what order to put them in. Like some of them make sense that they come later and then others, I imagine, could kind of have gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's some that you could have just slipped in anywhere. Um, yeah, the tw I, I loved the introduction um, and I want to talk about that in a minute. But first, I feel like I want to back up from it and ask like. Because I feel like even reading it again now, having it been my second time, maybe even my third time, there's a chance that I read this again at some other point, is who do you think this audience is? Like, who's the, re who's the reader here? Okay, so my thoughts on this just changed because I had not read the introduction before I read the book. Um, and then I saw you want to talk about the introduction, and I was like, I should read the introduction. <laughs> and so I just read it this morning. And it was not the same as yours, but she really talked about, she kind of answered that question. Um, and so when I, when I was first reading it, because I knew it was a book that you had read when you were young-ish, I assumed the audience was, you know, people under 17. Um, and, but now, having read her introduction, she talked about how she had this really uh, big moment in graduate school in Iowa, um, where she just felt like really other. And she, for the first time, noticed all these differences. She had thought that the world was all like where she had grown up in Chicago and was really diverse and that she wasn't di different. Um, and she was getting really angry, feeling like the things that she was reading were just not about her life, not about her background, not in language she could really relate to. She talked about reading this one piece that was about like the memory of a house and it talked about the attic and the basement. And she was like, I had never lived, I had never lived in a house with an attic or a basement that you'd want to go into. Um, and so she turned this anger into, I want to write something from that only I can write. Um, you know, my classmates don't have this experience. My professors don't, I want to write something like that. And I had never seen that before. And she talks about later, she found works that did actually represent that, but that made me reconsider that, oh, actually, maybe she really wasn't writing this for children. She was writing this for to just totally offer her her perspective. And 
what was what I really thought was interesting is she said she was having this experience. And at that time that she started the book, I think she was 22. Um, and she said it was like, I think she probably thought this looking in hindsight that the experience she was having at 22 was too hard to process. She couldn't even write about that. So she had to go further back and write about childhood instead because she had like been a little more removed from that. And so that's why it ended up being a book about, you know, maybe a 12-ish year old or um, instead of a book about a 22-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like that like brings, I think those two things are intertwined. They're like, not sure who the audience is and not sure how old Esperanza is, but you can read about, I mean, she has an answer to it, right? Like she has an answer as to who the book is written for her and who, how old Esperanza is. I think she's 12, right? But at the time. Oh, is she 12? I didn't know. Does she say that? So yeah. Okay. I don't know if she says it in this, but I believe. Yes. Yeah, my notes say that. Yeah, so so that's what she. I I read that somewhere in an interview with her or something. Um, okay, which I pictured her much older than that. Um, and which is interesting because you said twelve as we were talking, indicating that you felt like that was the the age that she was. Well, I kind of was. I was like, oh, what age do I want to guess she is? Um, I almost wonder. I would guess that the book was written over. A period of time from her being, you know, six to 16, I could, I feel like there were chapters that covered that whole range for me. Um, but I don't know if, and it's not clear in the book totally what, how much time is covered. But yeah. I don't want to, I want to hear what you were going to say about who you think the audience is. You know, it's interesting. I kind of feel like, I, I think it was written back before there was YA, right? YA wasn't like a a genre that we had, but I feel like it would be now because young YA for the most part is mostly age age appropriate, whatever that would be, mostly G rated, PG rated, and then has a few blips into maturity, right? And that's that's generally what I think of YA, and that's what this is, right? For the most part, like I can read it for to my seven year old, but there's some of those moments in maturity that I that I can't read to her. Um, but I I really think it's written for people of you know from like i don't know 10 to 100 right it's like any age could really uh get something from this book it is it's written at a it's written so in some ways so simply that children could understand it and in some ways it's written so poetically that it would take an you know a mature mind to grasp it um she says one thing in this introduction which let me see if I can find it. I'm not, I'm not, it's not easy for me to find at the moment. I thought I had marked it. Um, oh, here it says, um, she wants to write stories that ignore borders between genres, between written and spoken, between highbrow literature and children's nursery rhymes, between New York and the imaginary village of Macondo, between the U.S. and Mexico. It's true she wants the writers she admires to respect her work, but she also wants people who don't usually read books to enjoy these stories, too. She doesn't want to write a book that a reader won't understand and would feel ashamed for not understanding. And I feel like she really nailed that. Yeah. What do you think? I, I would totally say, was that from the last chapter? 
That's in the introduction. Oh, okay. Um, so no, she's it does writing finish with. She's writing about, about herself. Like okay. in in this introduction, she writes like about her 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 at the time of writing this book in like the second person. Okay. Yeah, I think that's definitely what it feels like to me, and I think, like you said, someone who's ten could read this and make their own meaning out of it. And then someone who's, you know, 80 could make other meaning out of it because they can understand some of the more poetic language. And so I think it's kind of a what you make of it book. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and also because she uses such uh, limited language, you know, that she's not, like she's not it's not a novel, right? She's not filling in all, a lot of gaps. And so you can you can really make something out of it. I want to talk more about the introduction. Because it, I, I would love to see your introduction, and I would love to show you to see this introduction. Because especially reading this as a writer was really impactful. She particularly, and I can't read the whole thing because it's too long, but the last two pages of it is this tribute to her mother, and it is is so beautiful. She talks about her mother coming down to visit her, um, and she talks about her mother seeing somebody's desk on PBS and talking about what a big desk she had and what a huge office she had. And she knew that as, that um, that Sandra was writing at her kitchen table again. And she was like, you know, like kind of bragging about this other person's desk, right? So she invites her mom down and she has this studio that she's built in the, in the I guess, the backyard of her house. And there's like it sounds like it's on a riverbank and there's industrial buildings that are like old and kind of beautiful in their age, you know, um, across on the opposite bank. Um, and she has a spiral staircase that goes up to the roof and they take yoga mats up to the roof and they lie there and they watch the stars. And her office is really big and she has a really big desk and her mom is like so proud of her, you know, even said, oh, your desk is even bigger. Um, and it's just so sweet that she like says this this whole this whole tribute to her mom and that was on October 24th and on November 1st her mom died. And it's just wow. such a beautiful memory of like this la like I don't know if it's the last memory of her they spent the next week together most likely but it's just such a beautiful and probably because she wrote details about it at the time, such a detailed memory of her mom. And I think as, you know, as a, as a writer, as a writer and also an aspiring published writer, it's, it really um, depicts like the, the goal, you know, the like to be writing at such a level that you like create a studio for your own writing and this is what you do for a living and your mom gets to be proud of you for that. And I just, the whole, the whole introduction, I just felt like I could read it again and again, the way that she talked about her as a young writer and what that woman was going through. And, and then to end in that tribute to her mom was really, really beautiful. I love that. And I want to see if I can find the 25th anniversary edition just to read it. That intro, uh, what I, what it's especially sweet is that her mom wasn't even so focused on, oh, you have these published books or, you know, what other maybe external accomplishments she might have had at the time. But it was on this small thing of like, you've got this big desk and 
your experience, you know, it's you get to sit here and this is your life and and do your writing and that that's what she was celebrating. Um, and it also made me think about how in the book there wasn't really much talk of a mom or like her parents. Um, so it's nice to get an insight into that side of I know she's not Esperanza, but that's kind of inspired by uh, that side of the story that we didn't really hear. It was much more like external neighbor focused. That's so interesting. I didn't even think about that until now. And not and I guess it was external neighbor focused at, at and adults and kids, both. Because I was thinking, mm-hmm. oh, maybe she was just concentrating on all the kids, but there were a lot of adult neighbors in it. Whereas, yeah, yeah her parents weren't really a part of it much. It makes me think kind of as a kid, you almost take your parents such for granted that you can't even think to describe them or tell a story about them because to you it's just just kind of background um, because you're so used to them. Whereas like there is that one scene where her dad comes in because his father has just died and that was like super out of character for the dad. And so then she told that story of a parent, but. I wonder if that's kind of why the parents weren't super in it. Yeah. Spoken like a parent yourself, right? You're so taken <laughs> for granted. <laughs> I'm just, just fade in the background. <laughs> right. Just chauffeur and servant right now. Um, yep. Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting take on it. But you're right. It is cool to see that. And obviously a strong relationship, you know, with her with her mom mm-hmm. that you don't see depicted. Yeah. Well, talking more about the the structure, like we've said, it's kind of written in this short story, almost poetry format. And I noticed there's also there wasn't a lot of internal processing of like this happened and this is how it made me feel or this is what I was thinking. It's, it seemed very observational to me. Um, and I think that's also something I, I didn't really like because I love the internal stuff. Um, but it made me think. As a kid, maybe you're not really aware of all that internal processing and you do experience the world in more of a all that's happening around you way. Um, I was trying to figure out kind of, you know, why it was like that. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why the structure is the way it is, as well as why the the voice of the narrator is the way it is. Mm. I think the structure is the way that it is because of her being a poet that's the way that I took it you know that she created this structure that feels definitely more poetry than novel do you feel like now that you know that she writes poetry too do you feel like that makes sense yes yes now that does make sense and knowing that she was trying to piece together vignettes that could stand alone or stand together yeah and I I think it to me one of the reasons she would write it that way as a writer like for her reader would be for us to be able to put ourselves in it. You know, if you read a novel and it, the character is really fully developed, you don't you're not seeing yourself in that character at all or you're not seeing yourself in that story at all. But there was kind of this as, as someone who grew up white and privileged in suburban America, very different from the way that Sandra Cisneros did. It was an opportunity for me to be like to pl- place myself in it because there were all these holes and be like, wow, that is so different from what my childhood was like. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what the, to me, that's what the 
why she didn't fill in a lot of the the details because she wanted you to be able to see yourself. Well, actually, I have two reasons. That was one of them. The other one is that I think it leads to if she filled in a lot of details, it could be like poverty porn, right? It could be like mm -hmm. too much concentration on those details as opposed to um, focus on like the literature, mm -hmm. you know? And she, you know, having read the introduction I read, she wasn't trying to write like, oh my God, my childhood was so terrible and bad. It was, she seemed to have a lot of, you know, joy that she wanted to celebrate the childhood she had. And so would it make sense to, like you said, yeah, go in that kind of poverty porn direction? It also makes me think the kind of vignette style of it is that kind of how the memory of childhood feels to me that I feel like my memory of adulthood, I kind of, I create more of a story of like a continual, like I developed from this place in my early 20s to this, to this. And childhood is more of this just smattering of memories that aren't necessarily as cohesive. Mm hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about like another book that I read about someone's childhood and how different it was, which is Frank McCourt's Angel Angela's Ashes. Have you read that? Yes, a long time ago, but I remember really liking it. I mean, it was a really sad book, but being really moved by yeah. it. Yeah, and I feel like he does a great job of being in the mind of a child. Like you don't, I don't think you get a lot of the inter internal processing. You got a lot of external processing. So that's how you kind of know how adults feel about things because they're externally processing it. But he fills in a lot of detail, right? You do, that is like a novel. You know, you, you are getting all the little, all the conversations and, there isn't a lot left to the imagination. He paints a really clear picture. So I, w I wonder what the difference is. You know, you know how in writing they talk about the truth versus the literal truth or the tr literal truth and the actual truth? What are the Maybe. Two tell me. Tell me what you've <laughs> Basically, it's like when you go to do. What have you? <laughs> Basically, it's like. If you were to write dialogue, if you were to get too caught up on the actual truth of what happened at the time, you would never write any dialogue. You know, you would just be because mm -hmm. you would never you, unless you recorded it, you would not know exactly what happened. But that's not the purpose. Right. It, then then we would have no books. And so the purpose is to be able to convey the truth of the situation. Right. Um. And so that's what Frank McCourt did. There's no way Frank McCourt remembers all of that dialogue that happened, right? So he filled in that truth, whereas it feels like Sandra Cisneros kind of didn't fill that in. She was like, I'm just going to leave that because, I mean, she does have some dialogue in here and same same with her, right? She wouldn't know exactly what these people said, what she she even said at that time. But it feels like she went more in the direction of, I'm going to leave it out because I don't know it and let you kind of fill it mm -hmm. in for yourself. Yes. That's so funny that you say that because just last night I was, I said I never read short, you know, essay or story collections, but I, I was, I am reading a little bit of Ann Patchett's um, These Precious Days, her essay collection, uh, because my husband has it. <laughs> um, and I've been in a, in a book rut. Um, but 
it's she had many scenes where she's describing dialogue she's had and i would read some of these things and be like wow how did she have such a insightful answer right away like it's just because she's so smart and she's ann patchett um but now i'm like okay she maybe didn't say it exactly like that and maybe there were like some words in between and stuff and yeah maybe this isn't the capital t truth (laughs) right (laughs) totally yeah it's what she needed to convey (laughs) as the truth And it, and it comes off better in the writing. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you don't as much want to read about the person who comes up with like the perfect retort three hours later, right? You want the one that's like right there with it. So. Yes. And as a side note, I find dialogue very hard in writing. I don't know if you feel the same way. I know you, you're more often writing nonfiction. Me, it's more fiction. But I find that if I try to write like people actually talk, I'm like, this is just boring. There's just a lot of like, um, okay, yeah, like that kind of stuff. And then if I try to write dialogue the way that it's in novels that I like, I'm like, no one talks like that. <laughs> so I just feel like very stuck as to what to do with it. Uh, I know. Dialogue is so hard to write. Any writing course I've done, I always feel like if we get to dialogue chat, like sections, I'm like, oh, this is the worst. I've started writing an, yeah. um, a story of my dating life when I was in my 30s, and I feel like I can get the dialogue pretty well down, which is interesting that I'm like, I feel like I can go back to that time. And, and as in you can tr- truly remember conversations you had or more like you can just tap into that voice? I can tap into that voice. Like, I'm like, I can kind of remember the conversation, but I'm like, I get the, tr- I know what that voice, I can get, get the, the voice was to sound, cl- sound natural, but it's like, there's breaks yeah. in it. It's not like long conversations. It's, you know, snippets of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, should we talk about some of our favorite chapters? Maybe we can go back and forth talking about some favorite chapters. Do you want to start with one? Oh my God. I have so many of them. You do. You have a very long list. <laughs> okay. Um, the first, yeah. So let me let me share. Let me share because I have like a theme to why. Like, there's definitely one thing that sticks out to me in each of the chapters that I really like. Like, um, Marin or Marin, however you want to say that that one. How would you say it? How did you say it in your head? That's funny. If it was. If it's a person, I feel like I say it Marin, but then I know the place Marin. Mm. Yeah, so maybe it's Marin because yeah. it's a person. Um, this one to me was that for any of us who have been told that we're too much, we're too loud, we're too um, opinionated, we're, we take up too much space, we're too big, we're too happy, we're too – like any of that, which I definitely was as a kid – this was like that, right? Like Marin. I mean, it even says there's a send a letter back to her mother, sent her back to her mother with a letter saying she's too much. And I was like, this is for all those girls. And Sandra Cisneros might have been one of those girls too. You know, I can imagine. Um, and so I really felt that one was like, that one was, was personal. Yeah. And do you do you say you have some kind of themes that connect if you want to talk about more than one at once, if you have connecting ones? I just feel okay. like I have these, like each one had its own theme. But I'll tell you, like the themes of my ones are like 
being too much at such an age. The 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 next theme is, and I'll talk about about the chapters, but like the weight of female sexuality. The next one is about like individuality and mental health. The next one about poverty. The next one about sexism. Like I felt like the ones that really stuck out to me were the ones that I could very easily see what the theme of it was. Like why she put it in there. In my mind, right? She could read this list of my of my reasons and be like, "Oh, that's that one was not about that at all." But that they stuck out very clearly to me. So, like the next one, the family of little feet, um, that one to me was this that that a kind of a, a piggybacks off that first one for Marin, like being too much, right? As, as a young woman, and the family of little feet is kind of that was when they tried on the shoes and. They got a lot of attention. It was, and at the end, they just kind of threw the shoes, or one of the moms threw the shoes away, and like no one. And she's, it ends with saying, "But no one complains because they're tired of being beautiful." And I think that's that's just a continuation of that that weight of female sexuality that that can, and and that recognition of it maybe for the first time. And such a, I think at least maybe this is just my personal experience that I, as a young person. I was usually just envious of that kind of beauty and power, but for her to see it as sometimes the burden it could be is, I think, a really insightful thing for a young person to notice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe she didn't even notice it at the time, right? You know, like she knew Mm -hmm. it was too, it felt too much and probably just didn't know why, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like, it's like sometimes Izzy will say things to me about like, something just not feeling comfortable or, you know, like she'll get upset when she's trying to talk to me about something and she won't have the words to explain what it is. And I think that's, that's hitting that barrier, right? That like, I don't know how to explain this. I just know it doesn't feel right. You know, it's, yeah, it's that intuition that we so often lose as we get, as we become adults. But at the time you're like, something doesn't feel right about wearing these shoes around all the time. And this attention that we're getting, I just don't know what this is. Right. Yes. That's so interesting because, you know, you have a seven-year-old, I have a two-year-old. So I think of, oh, once she can have her words, all her words, like she'll be able to explain everything to me. But even when you have all the words, it does take so long. And, you know, even when you're an adult, it can take, you sometimes don't have the words to explain it, you know, uh, kind of your own emotional intelligence. So, yeah, it's interesting to think of that, that journey and how it's kind of like, do you ever have all the words? I don't know. I don't have all the words. Do you have all the words? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely don't have all the words. <laughs> Tell me some of yours. Well, it's funny that yours is like really meaningful. My my first favorite is just the title, Louis, his cousin, and his other cousin. <laughs> and I just love this kind of kid talk of like, that's kind of how you saw people. Like, I didn't really know who these people are. It's just like his cousin and his other cousin, just like these people that are always attached to this other person. Um, so I just laughed at the title of that. Um, that was one that was great one of that I read to Izzy. And then later she, her, we were talking to, to my husband and, and I was saying that we were reading this book and I was like, Izzy, talk about one of the chapters. What do you, what do you remember? And that she was like, well, there's Louie and he had this, and he had a cousin and he had this car, mom, what kind of car was it? And so I said, it was Cadillac and <laughs> She goes, can I see a picture of a Cadillac? And then she said, and they rode around and they had to have one of his sisters on each of their laps, but that was okay. And they 
drove around the block and and I said, and then what happened? And she was like, well, they drove around six times and on the seventh time, they stopped. He stopped and he told them all to get out. And I said, why did he stop and tell them all to get out? Because they heard sirens. And I said, then what happened? So, well, then he tried, he drove to the end of the alley and hit the light post. And he just like, bruised his head. And I said, and then what happened? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, she got arrested, right? She goes, he did? I was going to ask if she made that connection. And, I was like, <laughs> and then I looked at the end of it. I was like, oh, yeah, nope. It's just that he got handcuffed and put in the car, right? But she's like, she doesn't she doesn't know what that means. And so it's right. interesting that that one stands out to you because it was like one that stood out. Like you said, it wasn't like the de- a deep. I mean, it is, right? Yeah, it was interesting. It was, it was, that was one of Izzy's favorites too, Caitlin. Yes, I have the brain of a seven-year-old. <laughs> Me and you, Izzy. Um, and even that, just like an example of, like, like you said, this actually is serious. Like, this, her someone's cousin is being arrested. Um, but she writes about it in a, this very like playful child. I just remember it was so exciting. He had this car. There was music. Blah blah blah. Um, yeah, and then I'll you know on a more serious one. Uh, chat the chapter. Those who don't is uh you know about how when people come into our neighborhood they think it's dangerous and they look around and they get scared um and you know when we go into neighborhoods where we stand out and we feel different or there's maybe a lot of i wonder if she says no she doesn't say white but she says all brown all around we are safe but watch us drive into a neighborhood of another color and our knees go shakety shake and our car windows get rolled up tight and our eyes look straight. And it was a super short chapter, but it was just very powerful of, you know, people think we're bad and we're not. But also I get scared when I'm in a place where I feel different and just kind of acknowledging this icky feeling as a human of being nervous about things that are different from what you're used to. Mm-hmm. And how early that starts. Yeah. You know, what's also interesting is as I was reading this, for some reason I was picturing it in kind of a more like pastoral-y area, um, like with kind of dirt roads, not like fully country, but I wasn't picturing like an urban setting. I don't know exactly what I was picturing. Um, But then as I was looking up some things about the book, I was reminded that she's from Chicago and that's where she's from, and I was like, "Oh wow, my setting! All the pictures in my head are totally off." I think that's so interesting. Yeah, and I don't know where I was getting that from. <laughs> yeah, maybe something for else that you read, or some memory you have of like driving through somewhere that you could picture it. You know, like maybe her neighborhood was harder to be like putting yourself there. Yeah, and I think maybe because she was using terms like houses and i think what she was referring to was townhouses is that's what I, that's how i would describe like these you know townhouse row houses in chicago um and so i had this idea of houses and then when you say house i don't think city i've like eliminated the city from my vision which is so funny because you live in portland which is a city of houses i know <laughs> But I, I call Portland a fake city. Like, it's, it's, it's true. Oh, my God, Caitlin. You better cut that out or else you're going to uh, lose all of your Portland listeners. 
it's a compliment. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live in a city. <laughs> um, you also really liked the Papa Who Wakes Up Tired in the Dark. You talked about that one a little bit, but what was it that really stood out to you about that one? That one, yeah, it would be, I think maybe I hadn't realized it until we had talked about the fact that there really weren't the parents um, in the book. And so I think it really struck me when I just feel like things slow down when the dad came into it, like, oh, yeah, this is a kid and they see their dad in a certain way. They still haven't realized that their dad is just a person. Um, and and I think kind of everyone has that experience of like the first time you see one of your parents like truly upset um, and it's very jarring of realizing just I feel like the world feels fragile. Um, it's something that you had never considered before. And so, yeah, I can think of memories like that. And I think I was struck by that for her. And and I just I felt for the dad of, you know, he wakes up tired in the dark. He just seems like, you know, such a hardworking, I don't know anything about him, but just this hardworking man who's now struck by his grief um, and trying to hold it together for his kids. And so I, you know, felt for, I think that was a scene where I actually felt like I got, I understood a bit about one of the other characters, whereas for me, a lot of the other characters in the book, like I couldn't get into them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You wanted more of that connection that like you want to, this is, this feels more internal processing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me about some more of your favorites. Well, I think two of the ones that come up next for me are two that you also have, which one of them is by, I think by far my favorite. This was like Bumps in the Attic is my number one. Um, and I just love, so uh, since this was both of our favorites and it's very short, I'm going to take a moment just to read it. Okay. I want a house on a hill like the ones with the gardens where Papa works. We go on Sundays, Papa's day off. I used to go. I don't anymore. You don't like to go out with us, Papa says, getting too old, getting too stuck up, says Nenny. I don't tell them that I'm ashamed. All of us staring out the windows like the hungry. I'm tired of looking at what we can't have. When we win the lottery, Mama begins, and then I stop listening. People who live on hills sleep so close to the stars, they forget those of us who live too much on earth. They don't look down at all except to be content to live on hills. They have nothing to do with last week's garbage or fear of rats. Night comes. Nothing wakes them but the wind. One day I'll own my own house, but I won't forget who I am or where I came from. Passing bums will ask, can I come in? I'll offer them the attic, ask them to stay, because I know how it is to be without a house. Some days after dinner, guests and I will sit in front of a fire. Floorboards will squeak upstairs. The attic grumble. Rats, they'll ask. Bums, I'll say. And I'll be happy. Even reading it again, I'm just like so in love with this chapter. It's in such short words. It's like so few words. It's very heavy, right? The beginning part about her drive, like not wanting to drive with her family because she's ashamed. And then this really poetic line about people who live on hills sleep so close to the stars, they forget those of us who live too much on earth. Have you ever thought of people living too much on earth? But if that's not the definition or closer to the stars yeah. than someone else, yeah. If that's not the definition of like the like penthouse versus janitor's apartment, right? Or the I think of in Amman, we have are that it's all hills and like you have the really nice 
you know, houses that have these like great views and anywhere's like that, right? Think of the hills in Portland. And I, yeah. And, and like, who have nothing to do with last week's garbage or fear of rats. You're right. When you live up on those hills, all the, the, everything like that is down, is down below. And then to end in this kind of, it's a, almost lighthearted, but, um, like still very poetic fashion of bums, I'll say, and I'll be happy. I just yes. like it, this chapter. Just I feel like this is why I I too don't read short stories very often, but it is a gift to write short stories. I mean, any writer, anybody who writes is just it's amazing to me. Publishing written work is just I'm so enamored by by incredible writers. Short story writing, though, if you can capture a short a story in that few words, that is just magic. Yes. Yeah, you're right. This chapter really does stand out. And it's so sweet. This the way she's she would never consider for a second to not let a bum into and just her using the term bum also. <laughs> um into her house and she'll be happy to have them and she'll be happy to kind of surprise people by her uh hospitality and have people be like oh there's bums in your attic and she'll be like of course i'm happy about it um so yeah this is i'm, I'm glad you read the whole chapter that's such a, such a winner and then the the next one i think that that both stuck, stuck out to both of us that we talked a little bit about is the monkey garden so what mm -hmm. what stuck out to you about that one okay let me let me you you talk first i'm going to refresh my memory on what stuck out to me about this one so this one to me was a, a chapter about trusting yourself, about some of those first moments where you learn to trust yourself and where you might learn that the adults around you won't necessarily have your back or see things the way that you do, right? That they won't, you know, as babies, we have to, we unconditionally trust the adults around us. We don't even know, right? And then as we get older, you know, think of like toddlers where they're like, they just fall and they're like, someone's going to catch me right? They trust the adults around them. And this was one of those moments where, you know, she, where she ran upstairs and was like, I have to tell you this thing, this terrible thing that's happening and you're going to do something about it, right? And she was like, not going to do anything about it. And, mm -hmm. she, you know, she doesn't really know how she feels about it is again another one of those moments where it's like you don't really know how you feel about it but you just know she says this one word um and then i don't know why i had to run away and then a little bit while later mm -hmm. everything inside hiccuped mm -hmm. and i can feel that like can you feel that i can feel those moments as a kid where i'm like the my my safety net suddenly wasn't there the same way that i thought i had one mhm mm yeah, I think to, what stood out to me in this chapter was the, there's a lot of like confusing and ambiguous feelings of you are wondering if, um, oh, Sal, you know, Sally, is she enjoying this attention from the boys? Is this something she wants to do? Does she want to go to the monkey garden? Or does she feel peer pressure to do it and is just trying to act cool and nonchalant? Um, and, uh, Esperanza also feels confused as to like, I don't know what's wrong, but like, this is bad. And, you know, it's unclear that she feels this is bad from a like, you're not following the rules. This isn't what you're allowed to do way. Or if it's more from a like, 
I'm really afraid for my friend um, kind of place? Or is there an element of jealousy there? And so it's like this whole mix of swirling emotions. And then, like you said, the confusion of, wait a second, the adult isn't going to do anything. Um, And yeah, I feel like that's just a very... It's a hard thing to capture and without even, you know, she isn't saying those words um, of just how confusing and mixed some experiences can be, especially when there's a lot of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like I, I, this is where I think she does a great job of letting you in, right? Of being like you – of taking the pieces that do did feel like my childhood and like some of those feelings and letting me feel those again, right, in a way that – that I wouldn't without this kind of reminder of what that might have been like. I think this is um, one of those examples where I talk about her having enough gaps to be able to see you yourself. Like I was able, even though my childhood is so different from hers, those childhood feelings I think are very universal. And so I was able to see myself in that position of like with one of my friends and, you know, I can just picture some of the, the, events that happened in my in my formative years and thinking oh yeah I had some of these feelings of like like I remember the what what was like going to be I don't think it was my first kiss but it was maybe it was but it was like one of those like was was either the first kiss or, or one of the first and I was I was at this fair this like event in my hometown with the boy that I was dating, right? As much as you can date in fifth grade or whatever I was in. And we had like left and it was at the church and we had left the area where the church was and it was a nighttime event. So it was like one of the few nights where like we could all be out late and, you know, like it was okay because it was a church event. (laughs) And we went across the street to this like spot near this, it was this beautiful, I grew up in this really beautiful area and and we went across the street to where there was these like this creek and these little bridges. And I remember we laid down in the we were laid down in like the field. And I was like, okay, I'm supposed to make out with this boy now. And I just couldn't. I was like, I said to him, I remember saying to him, I feel like there's a wall in front of me. And luckily, I felt that I could say that, right? And not do something that I felt uncomfortable doing. But I remember having these very conflicted feelings. And luckily, he was also someone who like didn't mock me for it and was like, it's cool. Don't worry about it. And we were like friends too. But I remember the very conflicted feelings of I was supposed to do this thing and this was supposed to be really cool and grown up and it's supposed to be something that you want to do. And I was a very outspoken girl anyway. So it was like, it's something that I should want. And and I didn't. And what does that make me? Am I a baby? You know, and it was like all these, and I was doing something that was kind of forbidden, you know, like, and so it was all of these mixed feelings. And, and I feel like when I read that chapter, I could go right back to those moments. Mm -hmm. That's you telling that story is making me think of a story from when I was in middle school. And I think also something I was struck by in this scene is I remember feeling like jealousy of other people, you know, if they were like they had their first kiss or like a boy liked them and like I wanted that, but I didn't have like I was a very shy kid. And so I didn't have like the gumption to initiate anything um, or. Yeah. And when I was in middle school, I went to this summer camp and it was an all girls camp and we would have dances with the boys camp. 
And I remember I so badly wanted like to have my first kiss or, you know, to dance with a boy. Um, but I was so shy. So I would just like never happen. Um, but my friends were like super outgoing and I was obviously jealous of them. And my friend still has this letter that I sent her where I'm describing the dance. And I was like, you know, these two girls, they rolled up their Sophie shorts three times. And I thought that was slutty. Yes. The favorite part of that story is that your friend has kept that letter. That is so incredible. I was, you know, judgmental at a young age. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun to like, and that's what I love. That's what books, good books can do. That's what amazing authors do is help you go back and relive these moments. That I would have never brought that moment up without it, right? We would have never had this connection mm -hmm. of these pieces of our childhoods that, you know, you can feel yourself in what she writes about. That's really, it's impressive. Yes. Especially considering how few words are in this book. Yes. It does really make me appreciate uh, what can be said in such short form. Uh, do you have any other favorite scenes or favorite kind of themes or takeaways from the book you want to talk about? I have so many other favorite chapters, but I think they all kind of are similar in theme. I really love the last two particularly. They're so short. I love A House of My Own because I think in, I don't know how many words this is, but she just nails it about having the house of her own, right? And this evening, Izzy, Izzy said, mom, can you note on this one, Izzy, like, and short. And so I did on my book, Izzy, <laughs> like, and short. And then the last one, Mango says goodbye sometimes. To me, this is like, totally a writer sign off right mm -hmm. and the thing that she says and she says i put it down on paper and then the ghost does not ache so much i write it down and mango says mm -hmm. goodbye sometimes she does not hold me with both arms she sets me free yes that is so strong yeah, that, that is why you write that's why we write the last chapter is really beautiful and i'm going to tell you a story about a girl who didn't want to belong not a girl who didn't belong but didn't want to belong and that's different from a lot of stories you hear. Yeah. Yeah, so so now after reading it and 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 discussing it, what would you would you recommend this book to people? I think I wouldn't recommend it as like a if someone's asked me for if they're a novel reader and they want to read a novel, I would recommend it for like as like a writer appreciation kind of book of if uh, yeah, for me that's what it feels like a book of if you want to study writing something in a really short format, capturing uh, the the time when you're young, um, but also capturing like big subjects within that kind of child's perspective. So there are definitely a lot of scenarios which I'd recommend it uh, just in a different way from like, this was a, a book and a story I was uh, really into. It was more like, this is writing I have learned from and can really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, I would recommend it to somebody who says, I want a really easy read. I feel like this is an easy read. I would also recommend it to someone who wants to like feel deeply about words, you know, that like mm -hmm. and definitely writers. I think, yeah, also it's a permission giving book to writers, you know, that like I think often I, I write with a couple different groups of, of friends and often you get stuck in this formula of how you're supposed to write, you know, what chapters, what a chapter looks like. And this gives you permission 
to make to like oh yeah I can this is my my writing I can make it what I want yes well I'm glad you had us read it because I hadn't never read it and now I have all this new appreciation I think appreciation I think I would also recommend it too and this kind of works for myself too of I'm kind of someone who wants to read poetry but then when I try to read poetry I'm like mm, this isn't really working too well for me <laughs> um and so I feel like this is a a poetry light <laughs> mm-hmm. yes yeah it's it's a gateway drug. It's a poetry gateway drug. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I wanted to finish with talking about some recent obsessions of this could be a book that you've really liked, you know, uh, music, food, activity, just something that you've been since, it's, you know, since we're a podcast about obsessions, something you've been really into recently. Um, I have been really into dried mango that we brought back from Thailand. So yeah, I wow. love dried mangoes so much. And we were in the airport in Bangkok and I and my husband and daughter went out into out of the lounge and into the airport and I said, bring back dried mango. And he was like, any specific kind? I was like, just lots of tri- kinds. And he brought back, he got a free tote bag because he bought over $100 of dried mango. And it was like seven different bags of it. And they have all been amazing. And I get, I open one bag and I try to make it last and I can't and I get stomach aches from it. And I'm so obsessed with my dried mango and I'm on my last, I have my last bag that hasn't been opened and I'm so sad about it and I'm just going to leave it for as long as I possibly can. Oh my gosh. It's, well, that's so cool to hear there's different types because, you know, dried mango in the U.S. is just dried mango. There's not, no varieties. Is there dried mango in Amman? There is one store called Asia Mart that has dried mango from this one. Sometimes, if you're lucky, a shipment of dried mango from the Philippines, a brand that I know I really like, comes in. But Mm. you can't get it with regularity. At least not the good stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What have you been obsessed with? Some mango. (laughs) I've been obsessed with Canadian podcasts. <laughs> um, the the CBC is Canadian broadcast company. I don't know what it stands for, but it's like Canadian NPR. Um, and I just, you know, I stumbled across one podcast that was, I think, by a Canadian creator. And then I've just like found all these CBC podcasts that I'm like so into. And the best have been, these are probably two of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. And they're both like, true stories people kind of telling about their lives one was called sisters and it's these two sisters who just kind of describe their relationship and dynamic over time and it's very raw and honest about struggles they have um and it's just like really good interesting audio editing and and then this other one was called alone a love story and it's this woman who you'd actually like this as a writer she had written her memoir but it hadn't been published yet and then she turned it into a podcast and so it's it's not an audiobook like she made it a podcast and later now her book has been published as a memoir uh her name is Michelle Parisi and she talks about her and this isn't giving anything away um being married and finding out her husband had had an affair and going through divorce and her relationships after and it's like such it's the most honest portrayal I've ever seen of just being a kind of the messiness of life and 
you know, it's hard to cut people off and it's hard to find the right relationship. And like, you don't always do things you're proud of or would recommend. And she just puts it all out there and doesn't try to like tie a bow around anything. And it's like 30 episodes that are each, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. Um, so it was like, it felt like an audiobook in length. I was like, so in her story. Um, yeah. And so I've just been loving those. And now I've been listening to other CBC ones. Um, I just finished one that was about a cult that was not wasn't necessarily like beautiful storytelling, but it was just like fascinating story about huh, cult. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so yeah, I've I'll never put all those in the show notes. <laughs> yes, I've never heard of any of those. That's amazing. I love that. I love that disc. There's so much out there, isn't there? It's so hard to like find what because you know me for the most part, I'm like not a huge podcast listener. So um it's so interesting to know that there's just so many there's so so many to explore. Yes. Well, I don't know if I've told you, but I've gotten really into knitting. And now that I'm knitting, I've been getting back into podcasts. I also wasn't listening to podcasts for a while, but it's like and it kind of feels like combining my loves of reading and knitting by finding these like story based podcasts. Uh, then I kind of get that feeling of reading while I'm knitting and I'm just like doing all the best things. Yes. Love that. There is one podcast that I um, I let myself like listen to very rarely because there are not a lot of episodes to it. And so I can't binge it. Otherwise, oh, it's this, gone. This is that everything is alive. Is this the object one? Yes. Yes. Have you listened to that one? <laughs> I definitely listened to one and it's hilarious. <laughs> that one is amazing. And I will put it and the, in and the, the one that I would recommend, like any of them are really good and you can start anywhere. But one of the ones that sticks out so much to me is this one about a Sharpie and, and the cat. And those are like the two different and they're like a married couple. And she gets she's, I think, the the marker and she gets like like someone else gets capped on her for a long period of time because she's at like an office. And it's like about like marriage and fidelity. And it's so fascinating to just take these objects and pretend that they have human emotions and thought patterns. Yes. And oh, my God, I love it. But. Yeah, it's a slow. I love that you knew as soon as I said it was like a slow drip that you were like, oh, I know which one you're talking about. You, I know. I know your drug of choice. <laughs> See, binging on dried mango from Thailand, slow drip of everything is alive. Wait, wait. Before you go, don't forget, please, to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, sign up for our email newsletter, or support us on Patreon. We so appreciate you being here, and we hope to get to know you more through one of these avenues so this isn't such a weird one-way speaking into the void kind of thing. Anyways, thank you again for listening. 